My Eagle enthusiasts, it's Fairway Rolling, presented by FanDuel. Major season is here, and you can get in on all the long drives, big putts, and major moments with FanDuel. Check out live PGA Tour bets like longest drive, round leaders, matchups, birdie or better, and more. Plus, track every shot in the app and watch select par three holes while you place your bets. Download the app today and bet with FanDuel, the official betting operator of the PGA Tour. Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. You must be 21 years old or older and present in select states. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Evernorth Health services. Costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and Evernorth is doing everything in their power to make that possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best. It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that'll benefit your bottom line. It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because they're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions, that's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello, friends, and welcome to this golf podcast. Unlike any other... You've done it. We are together once again for Fairway Rolling, the golf podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. I am your starter, Joe House. It is December, my birdie buddies. We've made it to the end of 2020. We have one last PGA Tour event of the season. We are going to talk about that as well as other interesting developments in the world of golf. The recap of the match three, the PGA Tour has announced an investment in the European Tour. As always, we are joined by our PGA Tour correspondent on the ground, Nathan Hubbard. The first tee is wide open. Me and Nate are just a two ball today. We're going to throw a peg in the ground. And try and let out a little leash. Yo, Nate Dog, what's happening, brother? I'm still recovering from the match 2.5, which was me against the stuffing balls. I lost. <laughs> Ooh, stuffing balls. What goes into the balls? Well, what's that stuffing balls, the point of the stuffing balls is in my very large family, we have big fights about who gets the crispy crusty part of the Mm. stuffing. Mm. And so we divvy it into a bunch of basically stuffing blobs that go and get baked, not the stuffing inside the turkey. But that way you increase the surface area of the crispy stuffing. Sure. And it also means that if you do enough that everybody's satisfied, that I'm imagining these as kind of stuffing donut holes. Is that the size or are they bigger? 
that they're yeah, that's right. A little bit bigger, more like a scone, so that you do get enough of the moist stuff inside. But inside, crispy yeah. outside, moist inside, just the way you want that your stuffing. Um, how big was your group with it? I mean, I understand, uh, I'm not trying to, to rat out anybody's social distancing, you know, COVID planning kind of thing. Did you have a, a decent sized group? We have seven in my household. So that was big enough. Yeah, that's, that's plenty big. So what, how many stuffing balls? Is that like 300 balls or is that too many? <laughs> I, you I, know me, I just think big. I was mindlessly eating them through the course of the weekend. And last night I finally had to just call uncle because I just was going in there <laughs> eating them like they're Ritz crackers or something. Wonderful. And, anyway, I weigh 305 now. I'm not talking about how much weight I put on. I did the Lord's work though. Let everybody uh, feel satisfied that I did my part to honor uh, the turkey, the gigantic turkey, because there was nothing but gigantic turkeys available when by the time we got around to ordering uh, or actually purchasing a turkey in the store. The last fresh turkeys in the store, there was none under the size of 24 pounds. So Whoa. guess the size of turkey that <laughs> I cooked on Thanksgiving. What a, you got a Barkley turkey. <laughs> it was a 25-pound turkey, but that's exactly right. And I did enjoy it while watching Phil Mickelson and Charles Barkley Go up against Steph Curry, plus one Steph Curry and and seven handicap Peyton Manning. Now, I'm not insisting that we go over this to, as, as a form of patting myself on the back. I'm not saying that we need to go through this I so just, that I can get on here and crow about my unbelievably prescient forecast of what was going to happen in that match. But, you know, we kind of hit the highlights, didn't we? You told us so. Look, Fairway Roland has picked the Masters winner. We've picked the match winner. This is why you listen. There was green to be made on the match, and the odds makers really kind of blew it. I think it was simply a function of the odds makers looking at where public sentiment was most likely to fall, and, and the odds makers knowing that the sporting public and the golf public has seen 15 years worth of Charles Barkley's incredibly dysfunctional Shitty. swing and, and, and concluding like nobody wants to put their money on Charles Barkley's awful, awful swing. And so to their uh, great credit, they, they made those guys underdogs. And I think, you know, lots of people just plowed into the favorite as a way of like, oh, I want some action on this. Oh, yeah, Charles Barkley sucks at golf. Let me just bet on the favorite here. Look, the Phil showed everyone how much better a pro is than an amateur take. Doesn't hold up awesome for me with the two things that, that happened. Number one, Steph played horribly. I mean, Steph just was not himself. And we know he wasn't himself because he shot a 71 in a corn ferry tour event. So we know that he can do it and he can do it under pressure, but he just was not good. And then the second thing is the Chuck tease that they created, which, <laughs> you know, which we, we had on, we talked about on fairway rolling. We just yeah, didn't new told us, but we didn't realize that they were effectively like those bumpers that they put up in bowling alleys for kids birthday parties. Like they just, they were so far ahead. It created such an advantage, which in hindsight, we, that's kind of what 
we were being told about them. And, and look, to be fair, it's not like he hit uh, 14 out of 18. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's, he, he did still slap him left and slap him right. He still missed fairways, even, even from the forward tees. The thing about Steph that I was most surprised by, and I believe I'm going to be generous because it is the season. It's the holiday season. It's a time to be gracious and generous. I, it has to be the case that Steph hasn't been playing very much golf. He's got so much going on in his life. The basketball season is about to start. Training camps are opening like this week, uh, and it'll be the first time for him to play professional basketball in 12 months. So I just feel like he has a lot on his plate. And the thing that I was so surprised by was how awful his short game was. It, it wasn't that... He, his ball striking was still pretty quality. It was like what I would anticipate out of a very low handicap player, perhaps even a plus handicap player. Yeah, whose that, hand-eye coordination is like otherworldly nasty. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and he hit a drive 400 yards. He hit a, a ball in the water off the tee. Right. I mean, his length was there, and his his ball striking was 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 mostly there. The short game was abominable, and mainly putting. Like, if he and Peyton had been required to finish out every single hole. Phil gave them a bunch of putts that they were absolutely going to miss. And and Steph missed his his fair share and Peyton missed his fair share. And that was the difference. It's always the difference in, in a competition like that. Do you think with Steph playing up to his ability that they had a much, much better chance to win? Or do you think Phil was going to win this no matter what? I mean, the, the the problem for Steph and Peyton is that Phil made the cut at the master two weeks ago. Like they just ran into Phil at the absolute peak of his, his skill set right at this moment. And what we were reminded of is a, a PGA tour professional, even a 50 year old guy like Phil, when they're in a fairway or even just off the fairway and they have a shot into a green, they hit the green. They don't, it doesn't go long. It doesn't go dramatically short. They leave themselves in a spot. So Barkley had mostly putts for his for the third shot. There was I can only think of one instance where he had to chip, and it's because a ball that Phil hit rolled backwards, and 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 Barkley hit an adequate chip. But um, I think it, it should have been more. It was clear that the speed of the greens befuddled Peyton and and Steph, and because their lags were awful, and they they talked about how those guys had gone out in the morning of the day of the match and zoomed around and played the whole golf course. They said something like an hour or something. So it was, there were, it was a cram session, an obvious cram session to try and get a feel for how things were going to go. And it just didn't work. Well, they were in Arizona, so there was probably a lot of moisture on the greens. So they were probably, who knows anyway. Yeah. But look, I, I, I don't understand how you locked into the Phil vibe, because if we're being honest in the couple weeks leading up to the masters, you were taking, I mean, to borrow the president of the United States' term, a massive dump on Phil Mickelson and his chances at the Masters. And in fact, I think that you you really were betting hard against him going into the Masters. Was this just your golf god penance for for shorting one of the game's greats? Or how did you lock in on this? It, it, it was both. So in the first place, I won three out of my four bets going against Phil. He still... Even though he made the cut, he still finished, you know, 56th out of 60 or something like that. 
Yeah. And uh, the the biggest bet that I lost was was him missing the cut. I bet on him to miss the cut, and he made the cut. But that was enough for me to see he made the cut. So like that means you know in terms of quality of ball striking, quality of short game. That's all I needed to see. Like I didn't anticipate. You needed stuff. to see him beat Olafable. He did, and he did, and he beat Brant Snedeker. You know, yeah. I mean, he, yeah. he just yeah. like he beat four guys. He didn't beat Bernhard Langer, uh, yeah. but he he beat a handful of guys, uh, and and that's enough. That was yeah. enough for me to to confirm in a competition like this. If if there'd been any indication at all that Steph had been playing competitive golf, we know he has the skill. You mentioned it. He's played in a Corn Ferry event and he's scored very well in, in at least one round of that. So he has that short game skill because that's how you score well in professional golf. He just clearly hasn't been playing any golf because he sucked. Well, you said a competition like this. What do we think of the competition like this? I mean, there was an element of this that it was kind of like the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade for golf. There were a lot of commercials inside this packaged event. And that's fine. That's how we get it onto TV. It was fun. I missed JT as the on-course reporter for sure. But where do we take this for here? My own sense is this should be somewhere between like a golf tournament, uh, you and me going to top golf for a, a night and, you know, drinking too much and like, you know, a group outing to a putt-putt course, but I, I don't think we're going to put windmills in front of Phil as he's teeing off. So where do we go from here? It, it's still, I, I think it's a satisfying and repeatable framework as long as they continue to pull in personalities that are comfortable talking because it's a lot of time to yeah. cover, right? I mean, you know, they they ran into daylight issues. They were lucky to 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 finish because they started, you know, late enough in the day and it ended up being damn near a 5-hour round with all of the interjections and all of the the, you know, competitions and so forth, all the side activity that was going on. Um but as long as you have, you know, staged out enough personalities, people that are comfortable talking and it were the obvious relationships. It was a terrific time when the three guys, when Shaq and Kenny and Ernie came on and were talking to Chuck and <laughs> Shaq's line, how are you yeah. going to read a green? You can't read words. That was extraordinary. <laughs> was that was great. an outstanding line, but that's only because of the relationship with those guys, the personalities, their comfort, you know, talking and it's it, so the framework of I like having Phil. You got to have a pro. You got to have a a. It, it's better to have Tiger also, but you have yeah. to have at least one legend. And then you know if you if you uh, just put around him a handful of other personalities, people that are comfortable being on television, it will work. And I love the angle of of charity. Right? I mean, there's an endless uh, variety of charities and worthwhile causes. That you can direct this towards, and it it uh, it makes it easy for people from other walks of life, other um, professional athletes, and other entertainers to jump on, like hey, and then you know do their little bit. I think it works. I felt like most of the sport content for the weekend sucked. The football games were, I mean, besides obviously our team thrashing the Dallas Cowboys, the rest of it 
you know, was kind of meh. Some of that's because Raven Sealers got moved. What I'm really asking is, could they turn this into like a multi-day Ryder Cup style event? Or is it really just one-off and it's about the personalities and then we go back to our leftover sandwiches? Well, the Skins game used to be spread over two days. And, you know, now looking back, I'm nostalgic for the Skins game because the quality of players that they got yeah. were so, it was like astounding that they got all those major winners to participate in that thing. Right. Um, and the venues were cool. They always played in nice warm weather things. So it was like, oh yeah, it's Thanksgiving and I get to see them in, sometimes they played in Hawaii. I know they played out of PGA West uh, at least once in Palm Springs. You know, I, I, I'm fine with it being a one day thing. I do like it in that Thanksgiving weekend window. Um, and I think Friday is the best because, you know, when the world returns to normal, knock, 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 knock. You don't want to be up against college football on Saturday because that that that's when it's rivalry week, you know, traditionally that that Thanksgiving football. Um, but like a late afternoon on Friday time slot, you're not competing with the very best college football games. So it feels like it could work. Yeah. The closest analog to this is like the celebrity all-star basketball game. But this is even better because it it reminds us that actually everybody of all shapes and sizes and genders and backgrounds can get out there and play the sport. So I, I like that they do it. I think they have to walk that line between uh, really, you know, fun, interesting personalities and participants and then like quality entertaining golf because this thing was kind of in the bag for most of the day. Uh, and And the challenges at the end weren't, you know, maybe they were going to hit a hole in one. Phil almost did. But they've got a lot to work with here. This is interesting clay. Seems like it's really good for the game. They now have a brand they can go with. As long as they don't inject too many coffee for wellness commercials, uh, it feels like we've got something to work with now. Uh, well, Phil will, by, by next year, have moved on to whatever his next product. I assume it's his clothing line because he continues to wear the stuff with his little jump on it. Well, and it's important that they figure out what this thing is because they're nestling it in between what is today a 50-event PGA Tour schedule. And based on the news that we got, it sounds like we're now going to have a schedule that doesn't just include the events that we're used to, but with the PGA Tour now announcing this alliance with the European Tour who knows what's going to happen to fall golf going forward? Yeah, I wonder if... So what you're referring to is the announcement, I think, uh, we're taping this on a Tuesday, yesterday, of a strategic alliance between the PGA Tour and the European Tour. And, you know, it seems like there is going to be some points uh, allocated, some FedEx Cup points possibly allocated to uh, some Euro tour events. And it also seems like there will be uh, some opportunities. It may be, it might be easier for some European tour players to play on the PGA tour. Um, those are kind of the, the things that I'm seeing in the, in the early reports about how this uh, alliance, some of the features of, of the alliance. Well, what else have you seen about this thing? Well, I think you're right. I think to the outside casual observer, it's never made sense what the PGA Tour is and what the European Tour is and how they, what, why they're different and why some guys play both and how it all works. For the fan, 
you know, th- that, that's been a problem, but it's also been a big problem for the players in that, you know, in particular, a lot of the good European players end up having to come over to play the events that matter. And, and we just don't, outside of the Open, get a whole lot of golf on European soil, much less in the rest of the world. And as we know, the PGL has been out there for the last couple of years trying to poke holes here and trying to find ways to siphon off roughly 40 or 50 of the best players into a true global league. And so what we saw this week from this alliance was really the two tours pushed into uh, a place of, of probably vulnerability is, is a little bit of a strong word, but the players and the agents have been pushing these tours to find ways to better work together, to make the schedule easier, to make it possible for the best players in the world to make more money and to help grow the glam, grow the game on a global basis. And that's really what this is about. They are probably going to merge eventually. That's not what this is. This felt more like a circle the wagons to fend off the PGL trying to insert itself and create a new golf league that takes away the best players. And it looks like they were effective in doing that. Yeah, I mean, we'll see how it shakes out. Uh, a couple of technical aspects. They, the announcement was Friday, last Friday after Thanksgiving, as opposed to yesterday. I just can't keep up with the news these days, Nate Dog. And the technical way that this alliance was uh, formed up, the PGA Tour acquired a minority stake in the Euro Tour's media production company. And Jay Monahan, the commissioner of the PGA Tour, is now on the board. Uh, of um, that that entity, he joined, he joined the European Tour Board as a non-executive member, but he he has a vote. So there is now uh, you know monetary investment in the the Euro Tour by the PGA Tour, and you know there are some glass half full elements of this. The European Tour has been experimenting. Um, with all kinds of different formats and and has a golf broadcast that many times is much more lively than what you get on a on a Saturday with the PGA Tour when they're at a venue that that is not you know a, a top tier venue. And they also um, have really smart, clever, marketing and production um, concepts that they've put out there. They've done a great job of humanizing, their players, letting folks get to know their players. A bunch of their content has gone, you know, golf viral, maybe not sport sports world viral. Um, but, you know, they were early movers when, uh, you know, the Zoom life took over. They had a really funny parody of, of a bunch of the Euro Tour guys getting on a Zoom and Gary Player coming on to try and talk about it. It was, it was super funny. Um, but those guys have been doing good content on the Euro tour for a while. So hopefully some of that will inform, um, you know, the, this, this, uh, partnership. And then y- your point about there being, you know, a, a step towards a world tour that really is, is what I'm interested in. I, I want to see the best players in the world play more venues outside of the United States. That ultimately to me is interesting and desirable. 
Well, and I think that's what we're going to get. I mean, the, the the press release all basically says we've agreed to agree on some things in the future, which was basically, hey, we're holding hands and, and our, our future destiny is interlocked. But you could see now they're going to start to elevate some of those events on the European tour, uh, which which may have some repercussions for some events on the PGA schedule. We'll talk about that in a second. But But to start to let us see golf around the world. I mean, you remember how great Royal Melbourne looked. Spectacular. And this and, time a year ago almost. Uh, yes. you know, beginning of December a year ago. And the way that the the tours historically have been divided, that's the only time we would ever see the best US players and for the most part the best European players playing on that course. And so this now opens up an opportunity to do, you know, a heck of a lot more with it. I mean, you could see a world in which you go through the normal PGA schedule starting in January that we're all familiar with, where they go through Hawaii, they come through the West Coast, then to Florida through the spring, and then you get into the Masters and some of those tournaments that now exist between the Masters in April and and the PGA, which is now in May. And then June, July, you could see us right after the U.S. Open, shift to a European phase of the tour, which is not just about the Open, but some of the other events and courses that happen over there, the Scottish Open, Spanish, Irish Open, etc., come back for the playoffs, and then into the fall, start to see the Asian swing, which the tour obviously had to pull back this year due to the pandemic, but, but they could really get back into a couple of dates in Asia, maybe even visit the Middle East. We know that the, the biggest, you know, the, the, the FedEx Cup equivalent in Europe is the race for Dubai. By the way, Patrick Reed is leading the race for Dubai right now. My guess is most casual golf fans don't know that. Uh, and maybe, you know, in December, when it's cold everywhere else in the world, take us to where it's summer down in Australia, South Africa, and get, give us a chance to see some of those courses. So you could really see this global year-round schedule where the best players are playing a bunch of courses, yes, here in the U.S., but also at these great spots around the, the world, which require different kinds of golf starting to emerge with this alliance. Yeah, and, and you know, you hit on a couple of things. The, the Asian swing was really becoming something. I mean, Tiger... As is always the case, Tiger winning in Japan, coupled with the glorious event in South Korea, the CJ Cup at that Nine Bridges venue, coupled with the WGC event, like you got, we got to see the, the very best players playing in Asia. It really felt like, oh wow, I'm going to start, you know, saving this moment on my sporting uh, viewership calendar. For the Asian, I'm very happy to have those tournaments fall in that late October, early November time frame because I get to see another part of the world. It's transportive, uh, and you know it's the best golfers. So that's that's a that was a a, a cool thing. I I enjoyed it, but all, all all of the opportunity, the Irish Open, the the Spanish, the Scottish, those are all played at very cool venues, uh, and and venues that won't ho- host majors anytime soon. But it's great to see those venues, you know, with with the best guys. So seems like there's lots of of upside to it. The thing that I am curious to get your take on, because you have um, slightly inside perspective, it this this move by the PGA Tour was directly addressed, directly intended to fend off the Premier Golf League, 
who made a very compelling pitch to the European tour on, uh, you know, a, an alliance between the PGL and, and the Euro tour and the PGA tour stepped up to the plate. Does that mean now I'm, I'm, I have a view on this, but I'm interested in yours. Does that mean that the PGL is dead or is it just another setback and they're going to continue to try and come up with a, a, an approach that works for them? Well, I think starting around the restart, we heard a lot of rumbling around the PGL. And when Brooks and Rory in particular came out and said, I'm not doing this, uh, it really set them back. And so it's clear they made an end around, the PGL did, because they are super well-funded. And their fundamental principles are right. or they're, they're business hypotheses, which are the best players in the world drive the ratings and should get paid more than they do. And the fractured nature of golf generally creates a bunch of inefficiencies and slack and fat that we could find a better way to, to run. Um, and so with this latest end around where they clearly were trying to flirt with the European tour, PJ was hands were forced and, and they had to create that alliance. That said, there isn't anything in this alliance yet about paying the best players in the world more money. There isn't anything, uh, in this yet about how to grow the game and expand and do all the things that the PGL was promising. There isn't anything in this alliance that helps the PGA Tour deal with their nonprofit status, which is a limiting factor in their ability to pay some players more than others and so forth. So some of the structural hindrances that exist that open this lane for the PGL still kind of exist. So it's going to be up to the commissioners of these two leagues to keep working on delivering the end product, which is what the players and, and again, more acutely, the players' agents were pushing for and using the PGL as a boogeyman in the first place, which is how do we get the best guys paid what they're worth? Well, and, and that element of it in particular is what interests me and makes me think that this PGL concept will remain uh, viable, will remain a, a vital prospect out there as they, um, you know, sort of deal with these first steps, these baby steps, they're, 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 they've been met with some rejection by um, the best players and the tours themselves are not warming up to it. But at the guts of it, and you hit on this, there is a business hypothesis that makes sense here. And it is at the guts of it to me, how do you present competitive golf on television that makes it an interesting and viable television entertainment experience. And it's a combination of the best players, which is what people want to see people, you know, the sporting public wants to see. And I think, you know, some, some interesting venues also could help, but ratings this year, and we won't, you know, invest too much. We won't say, um, 2020 was a real referendum on eyeballs on, on television not. screens, but you know, the ratings for the masters were the worst they've been, you know, they, 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 it was the Sunday round 
the, uh, the of the Masters that was completed two years ago was the had the worst rating since 1957. The U.S. Open was dramatically down. The uh, PGA Championship, um, their ratings were sort of comparable to to where they are now. The PGA Championship had the benefit of being the first major of the calendar year, 2020. Um, and still occurred in August, not up against football. football. So, you know, but the both the Masters and the US Open took it on, on, on the chin. We're not saying that those um are, are necessarily indicative of what we ought to anticipate in 2021, but the 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 you know, the undercurrent, the story that that's still left to be written is competitive golf on television as an entertainment product what is the best way to catch eyeballs what's the best way to drive interest we know the majors when they're back on their schedule next year we're anticipating this will catch eyeballs the masters in april should get great ratings you know again knock on wood some semblance of return of normalcy the uh, pga championship in may should also be good so on and so forth but the pgl I think, you know, they have the luxury of time. There's no hurry to deploy that money, I don't think. All all their investors are sitting there, you know, just just sort of taking a look and and they have the the opportunity to maybe pick off there are some guys who haven't said that they're not going to do the PGL. Bryson DeChambeau has not affirmatively declared that he wouldn't go over to the PGL. Could he be a star on that worldwide tour? It's that kind of thing that I'm interested in seeing. Well, and that's the link between the two things we've talked about today, right? Which is Phil Mickelson and three Bobos held our attention on Friday after Thanksgiving, showing golf in a different way. And in some ways that were more fun than the way they traditionally show a golf tournament. And so, so long as there's an opportunity to upgrade, as you said, the way that golf is presented on television, the ghost of the PGL is going to hang over golf as a whole globally. So it's up to Jay Monahan and, and to the European Tour to come together and figure out how do we do this better? Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, uh, TBD, it's going to be exciting. It's good for us as, as v- viewers and consumers. I, for instance, am very intrigued by the streaming opportunities. You know, ESPN Plus has a, a, an exclusive relationship with the PGA Tour for the live streaming stuff. I mean, that all by itself, I, I trust ESPN's presentation of golf. I thought they did an outstanding job at both the PGA Championship and the Masters. It it feels right. They do it right. They're professional. They're credible. And, you know, they present golf in a way that, to me, is superior to what we get from the networks that have owned these relationships for, you know, 50, 60, 75 years. So, you know, there's lots of stuff out there that that's, that's TBD that will be exciting. Speaking of TBD and exciting, we have one last event on the PGA tour in calendar year, 2020. And true to form, we're not going to get the shot tracker on PGA tour because it's too expensive on the app, it's apparently, at this point, my assumption is it's too expensive to get all the equipment down there. So our, our ability to take in every shot will be somewhat diminished and it'll sting a little bit coming on the heels of that great master's presentation where we could see every shot and, and all the detail. But we got a pretty fun tournament at Mayakoba 
that is going to have the best field it's ever had uh, on a golf course that is blissfully not just a grip it and rip it bomber course uh, where people have got to make some shots. And one of the things that the PGA Tour tried to do with the FedEx Cup was introduce a fall season that mattered more. And we've talked about this since the restart, especially in August. There were a bunch of guys that just did not play enough last fall, and they ended up on the outside looking in. Brooks Kepka, Justin Rose, a number of these guys who didn't really get on the horse missed out on an opportunity to get to the Tour Championship because they didn't play in events like these. And lo and behold, we got a really good slate of golfers this week, including Justin Thomas, including Brooks Kepka including a whole lot of guys that we have seen hovering around leaderboards in majors. So I'm excited for this last one, this last little gasp of golf before we take a little break and pick it back up in Hawaii in January. Uh, and, and, and as long as it doesn't fricking rain all week house, and it looks like it's going to rain every damn day, <laughs> this is going to be a ball strikers paradise. And the question is, as we talk about this tournament, are you and I going to learn from our damn mistakes this fall? And are we going to start talking about the kinds of guys who've been winning these fall tournaments? Or are we going to get suckered into JT because it's a second shot golf course and he's the best ball striker in the field? Well, here, here's the thing. Uh, have you played this venue? I have been there. I've not swung a club at it. Oh, well, let's make that a, a thing that we do in 2021. I've been down there and I played it three times, I think. Uh, lovely, lovely resort vibe resort right. feel golf course and and you know forgiving uh every which way it is short they they can they'll set it up and it'll play either right around 7000 yards or just under 7000 yards it's par 71 and there's no rough to speak of so uh you don't you don't get any benefit from being a bomber um and you you you, you don't really need to be that accurate you need to get hot with the putter on these greens and you know it is a second shot course in the sense that you need to get the ball as close as possible to the pin because the winning score is going to be something like 20 under 20 or under. 22 under or 24 under yeah um and you know short knockers have there's a there's a whole history of Fred Funk has won at this venue, so it doesn't really help uh no, to, to be a gigantic bomber. Our guy Justin Ray told us ten of thirteen winners here have finished the season outside the top hundred in driving distance, so keep it in the bag. there you go. keep it you you don't need it. I mean these guys, none of them need a driver really um I liked what, what you called to our attention, which is how are we going to find some guys? We've now been taught this lesson since, uh, you know, the, the, the fall schedule commenced in September of 2020. We have a series. There have been nine tournaments. Five of the winners of these last nine tournaments were outside the top 300 in the official world golf rankings when they teed off the week that they won. And that's, you know, all these Stunning. great legendary names, Stuart Sink and Martin Laird and Hudson Swafford right. and Robert, Robert Streb. Brian Gay. We'll be telling our fair kids about, no, I mean, yeah, anyway. No. 
So, but there are a lot of guys like that in the field this week. Yes, who yes. we can zone in on, and ten of the winners here have been in their thirties. So, I, I don't know what that means. Again, we come back to this: there have not been this many great players playing this tournament before, though. And so you have to balance those two things. Are we going to have another Brian Gay situation, who, by the way, has never missed a cut at this course in 10 tries? Or, you know, is this going to be the year where, I mean, I, I don't think Ricky Fowler and Justin Thomas and Brooks Kepka are down there for the weather this week. Uh, I think they're down there to play some golf. Are, are they actually going to show up? What well, do you think? One, one, one thing that's interesting, uh, and you mentioned Ricky, so w- Ricky for sure fits this category of being a guy with an ulterior motive uh, because this is the last opportunity to finish inside the top 50 of the official world golf rankings, which creates the opportunity to play in the, Masters. the 2021 Masters. That's exactly right. So you have to be inside. If you're in the top 50 of the OWGR, the official world golf rankings, as of December the 31st, 2020, you get an invitation to the 2021 Masters. So here are the names of the guys. uh, And I'll give a quick shout out to uh, the homie Ryan Harrington, Golf World, uh, who who did this this write-up. you know, Brendan Todd is at 46. Now he's the defending champion and he's already got his uh, ticket to play at the Masters uh, again next year. Uh, Lee Westwood, Ricky Fowler. Ricky Fowler's right there at 48. So he can't afford to have some of these guys above 50 jump him. And the guys above 50 are guys like Kevin Streelman and Ches Reeve and Russell Henley and Henrik Stenson, and Sebastian Munoz, right? Now, Sebastian's got an invite already. Corey Connors is 54th. He's got an invite. But in any event, a bunch of these names, these are guys right around that 50 mark that would love the auto invite into the Masters. Yeah. So there's a lot of people playing for a lot this week. And uh, yeah, I think Ricky's at 49. Oh, 49. I had him at 48. He's, He's at 49. Okay. In the in the in in the current rankings, it looks like he's forty nine. So, I mean, it, now is Fowler? He could always play his way in through other ways. But but there's yeah. some people there's some people who really are going to have uh, a lot on the line this week. That said, it sure feels like another one of those slightly older thirties guy, you know, who hasn't necessarily been on our radar screens that much, but. I mean, you know, Patton Kazire, right? One here, 2017. That's it. Uh, now you you're know, talking. Yeah. T24 at Shriners, T11 in Houston, T10 at the RSM. Mm, coming in hot, right? Hasn't yep. missed a cut at this tournament. He's the kind of guy. Bryce Garnett, he's five for five in playing this course. He's got three top tens. Uh, it, 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 he's the kind of guy who would be a Brian Gay out of the blue. Here he is, right? There, there's some players like Cameron Percy. He's 46. He's outside the top 300 in the world, which is your stat. He's 21st in greens and regulation in the in the fall. So, I mean, who knows? But that's the kind of guy who's been winning these tournaments versus the young guys who've been getting knock kneed uh, down the stretch and 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 not grabbing tournaments by the throat. 
Yeah, a guy I got my my eye on. And, and one other thing to call to everybody's attention before I start naming names, there is a strong correlation. You'll see this in all the write-ups between this venue with its coastal conditions and the Sony Open. There is a bunch of commonality between guys who have performed well at the Sony Open and have performed well at this venue uh, down in, in Mexico. One of those guys that fits that category, and it really is his time of year, Chucky Three Sticks. Eight of his last 10 starts, he's finished inside the top 20. This is Chucky Three Sticks season. Charles Howell third. you always see him competing and, and finishing high at the Sony Open, and he gets his, his game in order right now. This is a guy who's made over $20 million on the PGA Tour with only a couple wins, and that's because he's grinding it out in, in, in these so-called off-season moments. He owns California. He loves Hawaii, and this Mexican event is another one where he gets the game in, in order. So he can't sleep on Chucky Three Sticks. Definitely not at, at a minimum. You want to play him in a top 20. My my guy for the week is Harris English. Yeah. Now, he's not coming exactly, you know, fr- from behind. He's not this sneaking a, up on anybody. He's not a quiet player. That's exactly right. Uh, he's in form. He's been in form. Five top 10s in the past 12 months. He's a guy that was showing up in all of my lineups uh, through the restart. He had a very good U.S. Open. Uh, yeah. He was fifth at this venue last year. He finished two weeks ago uh, down at Sea Island. He was a tie for sixth. So he's 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 absolutely in form. He's thirty third in the world. Um, he he's my guy. He's my pick to win uh, this week. In fact, but I also very much like Abraham Answer. Yes, an- another guy. Now we have the nice story of him. How well, how would it be? Wouldn't it be twenty twenty if we had? It's been fifty years since a Mexican won on the PGA Tour, and then Carlos Ortiz won a couple weeks ago, and then Abe Hanser here in Mexico. What if he brought it home right afterwards? Well, it could and should happen. Ortiz was runner up last year. Answer was T eight, and and we have been looking at Answer as the best ball striker as a guy who is d- not the best ball striker, but the be- one of the best ball strikers not to have won a tournament yet. And we got lift clean place this week, all- almost assuredly all four days based on the weather. It's time for Abe Answer to come through. We've been talking about him since the restart, since since all the way back to a year ago when we did this pod, and really identified him as as a horse we liked. I'm ready to see him step up and win. Well, we saw a ton of him at Augusta because he was all over the leaderboard through the first three rounds. He fell off on, on, on Sunday, but yeah, he's been a horse that we've been on since, uh, since, since the restart and, you know, but for, you know, the, the fall off on Sunday at, at, at Augusta, I mean, he, he still finished top 20 at the masters and two top tens the past three years at this venue. As you mentioned, another guy that I like that fits we're, tr- we're trying to find guys that are off the radar that have won at a venue before. I'm looking at Pat Perez. Oh, Pat, no. Pat Perez, I, another coastal oh. condition guy. He's won here at this venue. Is he you playing just, in flip-flops? See, you just gave me the reaction that I needed, right? If I said to you, Brian Gay down in Bermuda, I would have expected you to give me that very same reaction. Oh, no. 
And yet, who went down to Bermuda and beat a whole bunch of the youths and everybody else assembled? Brian Gay, 48-year-old Brian Gay. So Pat Perez, he knows where the margaritas are. Yes, he, knows. he does. And he's in Tulum. <laughs> you know he's at some hot little beach bar in Tulum right now. He's, I, what time does he tee off? I don't know. Does it matter? It do, No, it doesn't to Pat Perez. It does to Brian Gay, but it doesn't to If it's to 7 Perez. in the morning for Pat Perez, he'll just stay up all night. He doesn't care. Oh my so that, that that's a long that's one of those long shots I'm looking at. Somebody, you know, who hasn't won on tour in a whole bunch of years that has won at a venue. I mean, Robert Streb, yeah, from absolutely nowhere, right? Pat was T eight here last year. Yeah, I know. He likes these coastal conditions. He plays good uh in Hawaii and he plays good down here in Mexico. I don't mind it. I mean, we oh, just Oh, you don't mind it. Now you're coming around. Well, I mean, look, you're 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 zeroing in on the right thing. The only thing in this whole conversation that scared me away from the Pat Perez's and Bryce Garnett's and and all the rest of the world is you said that guys who play well at the Sony play well here. Justin Thomas shot a 59 and won the Hi. Sony. <laughs> it's true. It's oh. true. I mean, there's there's no value on what Justin the hell are Thomas. What are going to do? Like gambling-wise and no, DFS-wise, there's, there's no, there's no value at all. But, you know, did he just finish fourth at the Masters? <laughs> yes. Has he been killing it, you know, since the restart? Yes. Is yeah. he one of the top five golfers on planet Earth? Yes. So, Look, you know. we're not trying to pick winners, even though we have been picking winners here on Fairway Rolling with some regularity. We're not trying to pick winners. We're trying to find the guys to put into that DFS lineup who are going to come through. And, 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 and I see it, Pat Perez, as long as we keep him out of the margarita machine. Or in it. No, I, I want him in it. I want him living his best Pat Perez life. That's how I want him. You think he's going to be better? Yeah, fair enough. I, we, we, there's, there's precedent for it. We've seen him. He he leads his Pat Perez lifestyle. That's what I want out of out of him. I don't want him to change anything uh, up. Uh, do, do you have any? Do you put any stock in this being Andy Ogletree's first pro event? I mean, he he was low amateur at the Masters, but that's about all. It, are, 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 do you think he does anything here? No, but I'm psyched to see him. I'm psyched to see him play. I think he he's he. Uh, Will will play well. It's you know I don't I don't have any feel whatsoever for um, how he's going to perform as a pro. Uh, you know, in his his first time out, the spotlight of the Masters is such that he it should be kind of a a uh, acclimating experience for him. He should not feel any pressure. He should feel comfortable coming out and and playing and performing well, but who the hell knows? He might miss the cut. I don't know anything about Andy Ogletree uh, in these kind of conditions. Well, I, I'm surprised you didn't bring up uh, Russell Knox only because he's a guy you've been in on before. He's 35 years old. He's 230-something in the world. He's seventh in greens in regulation this fall. So he's another one of those guys who you might expect to pull out. That said... Uh, you know, if you want to look at chalk, uh, I think Harris English was was the right pick. Obviously, Thomas is going to hang around. It would be a fairly fitting sort of uh, capstone to the year if Will Zalatoris won. Oh, that would be um, very cool, right? He, I mean, he's that's... sort of do. He's got three top tens in his five fall starts. You know, this is his first time playing since he really got his his full exemption membership. 
So there's some interesting stories and some guys hovering around who you expect to play well. I I hope we're not grasping too hard at straws based on what we've seen through the course of the fall with the older, more veteran, mature guy pulling it out, sort of coming out of nowhere. And and Pat Perez, you're right, is is, is the example of the guy who who breaks through here. But there, this could really be a very, you know, interesting and appropriate uh, end cap on on a, on the season, at least the 2020 golf season, as it were. Yeah, and I mean, would it surprise you if if like Tony Finau won? Yes. <laughs> what do you I mean? Yes, <laughs> we'd go nuts if he won. Yeah, we, well, I, I would love it if he won. But you know, again, the, the some some corollary. Tony's played well in Hawaii, and and his only win on tour is a, in Puerto Rico. Yeah, um, you know, some similarity in terms of that coastal. Condition vibe. In, in any event, lots to chew on. Uh, a nice mix of uh, veteran players plus, uh, you know, some of the top guys in the world that we don't often get to see in a venue like this. I'm excited to have professional golf competed one last time. Professional golf that means something in December is a good thing. Uh, and we have, you know, more fun to look forward to next week here on fairway rolling Nate dog. Not only will we be doing some superlatives, some season wrap up, but we will have tiger woods to talk about. He's playing with his son in the father son shootout. So we'll have, you know, something to look forward to. With that, by the way, uh, ESPN did uh, its premiere of its um, Tiger Woods documentary on Sunday. I haven't seen it yet. Did you see it? It's Tiger Woods, America's Son. I did not see it. I still sort of am buzzing from the HBO one I saw, but I didn't see the ESPN one yet. But let, let's let's try and watch. Uh, we can watch America's Son at least between now and next week. Uh, maybe we can co- compare notes, and we should have a special guest next week to help us put a bow on the season. But, you know, in the meantime, let's try and, and uh, allocate a little capital, some of these names we've given out, and put a bow on our wallets this week. And, and if if Pat Perez wins, we promise to do the show next week six deep into the margarita machine. Yeah, that is a fact. All right, Nate Dog. Thank you, my brother. We'll talk to you again next week. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.